I want to welcome you again to the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Today's study will be study number 50, and it is good to be back. I like, uh, I love traveling and spending time with the family, but I do like getting back home. Uh, today's study will be study number 50 in our series that we're calling Angels and Giants, uh, Fact or Fiction. And the date stamp for today for the recording's sake is 7-17-22. And uh, as I've been continually saying through this whole series, and if you're new to uh, the room today, uh, this series is focused around angels and giants. And I've, I've put a purpose. I like to have a purpose for my studies uh, so that you know we know where we're going. And the purpose of this series is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture and by doing so try and alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses seem to generate regarding these beings. And there again, as it always does, I believe that to correctly understand the Scripture, you got to have right division. You have to rightly divide the Scriptures as Paul puts forth in 2 Timothy 2.15, you have to rightly divide the scriptures or correctly cut them, correctly divide them, uh, in order to understand them as they were written. And that's what we're attempting to do with the subject of angels and giants. More so now angels than giants. Uh, we dealt with the giants early in the study, maybe the first 10 or 15, 20 studies. Uh, but the last uh, 30 studies or so have been pretty much totally focused on angels, and we're trying to keep it dispensational. Uh, the, the statements that are made in Scripture regarding angels, as I said, have to be rightly divided before you can correctly understand them and apply them to the, the proper time and the proper age and the proper circumstances. And that's what we're doing. Uh, we're currently looking at mentions of angels in Paul's Acts period epistles, and uh, to, that reminded me of that today because as we moved out of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians, uh, Colossians sort of came next in the way that uh, some have canonized or arranged the order of the books in the King James Bible. So what I'm going to do today, instead of going to the church age references to angels, we're going to skip over today and skip Colossians. We're going to go to Hebrews. Probably finish this whole series up maybe with uh, with Colossians and the modern day uh, references to angels. And by modern day, I mean Paul's seven post-Acts epistles, the prison epistles, uh, as they're called, which have our marching orders uh, dispensationally for today. So that's... It's kind of what we're going to do today, and last week, or, or last study, um, was a couple of weeks ago, and again, my sincere thanks to Forrest for uh, being being there when I need him, and uh, for being instant in season and out of season. He always is, and that's just the kind of guy he is. He's, I, I think if he had to, uh, if he had to miss a meal to do a, a study, he probably would. And that's uh, maybe not saying so much for him, but it's saying a lot for me. So <laughs> I'll use that analogy. But anyway, I do appreciate Forrest doing that. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the angel references 
in uh, first and second Corinthians 11 and Galatians chapter 3. And so as I said today, what I want to do is I want to stay in the Acts period epistles of Paul, and I say of Paul especially because the book that we're going to look at today, Paul did not sign it. But I believe nonetheless that the Apostle Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews. Um, and there's a excellent argument and the the reasons and um, the facts that go around my belief that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews is on the very first page to the introduction to the book in the companion Bible if you have one you need to read that sometime it makes an excellent argument for uh, for Paul being the author of Hebrews not only is the character and the style belonging to Paul, but the fact that at the time that he wrote it, which I believe to be pretty early in the Acts uh, period, at the time he wrote it, his name wasn't the best name, uh, as they told Maverick. Your your family name ain't the best name in the Navy, and that was kind of the was kind of the situation with Paul. He used to be a Pharisee, but after his uh, after his episode on the Damascus Road where he met the Savior that he fought against. He met the God that he, uh, the, the Christians believed in at that time, those who uh, believed in Christ. Once he met this Christ, uh, his life changed. And so he then became the enemy of those that he used to be a part of. The Pharisees turned on him. They plotted many times during the book of Acts to have Paul killed. And so it makes sense to me that in the writing of a book to his own people to put forth this Christ, that he figured it would be best not to sign it with his name as to uh, bring all that baggage and controversy along with it. And that's just one of the several arguments that the Companion Bible puts forth for the Pauline authorship of the epistle to the Hebrews. So I'll leave that. This is, that's not what we're here to study today. I'll leave that to you to um, review as, as time allows and as your heart leads. But uh, what I do want to do today, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. There's some interesting things regarding angels going on in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you've ever realized that or not. you ever thought about it or not. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But uh, pretty interesting. The word angel or a derivative of it, usually it's angel singular or angels plural in the English, uh, King James Version. That word occurs 12 times in the book of Hebrews. I don't know if you've ever, ever looked at that or considered it, but I thought it was interesting that the number 12 is always associated in the scripture with some type of governmental perfection. When God numbered the children of Israel, there were, remember there were 12 tribes, there were 12 sons of Jacob, and there were 12 tribes originally as set forth by God in the Old Testament scripture. Uh, you know, the number 12, you will notice if you do a search or a study on this, in Appendix 10, I believe it is, in the um, Companion Bible. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's Appendix 10 that deals with the numbers in Scripture and their importance. But 12 is always associated, you'll find, with governmental 
uh, workings or governmental perfection as set forth by God. Uh, remember there's 12 tribes, 12 thrones. Um, 12 is used over and over and over again in, in Scripture regarding Israel. And so it makes sense to me that as we look and we find this word angel or angels mentioned in the book of Hebrews, that it would be in there 12 times. Now, what I want to do today, and turn with me to chapter 1, it's also interesting, I believe, that of the 12 occurrences of the word angel in in this book, uh, that 10 of them, 10 out of the 12, would occur in the first two chapters. The word angel or angels is only mentioned in two other verses in the entire of, of the book of Hebrews. So, it would almost be criminal if we didn't read every verse of chapter 1 and chapter 2 because we're going to miss the lines portion by far of what's going on here with uh, with the angels in Hebrews. And it's here for a particular reason. Uh, everybody hear me okay? Okay, good. I'm sorry, I didn't see a whole lot happening. I know I hadn't started yet, but I just want to make sure I wasn't talking to myself and Lori because <laughs> sometimes it happens. But anyway, turn with me to uh, turn with first chapter of Hebrews, and let's get rolling with this. Uh, and like I said, 10 out of the 12 occurrences that we're going to see are going to happen in the first couple of chapters. But I want you to listen very carefully to what Paul is doing. Paul is writing a letter that he is an epistle to his own people, to his own nation, the Hebrew people, the Jews. Uh, and after certain studies we've had lately, that's uh, I think the, the term Hebrews or Israelites is, is much more applicable. But he's writing this letter to Hebrews, which to me puts it sometime in the early portion of the book of Acts. And what he's doing here in this book of Hebrews is he is going to be bringing to them this Jesus Christ who is in that day a controversial subject to say the least. And he is going to be bringing Christ to them in a manner that maybe they're not expecting because he is going to be comparing Christ to angels here for about two chapters. And I believe he did this because there was quite likely at the time, you know, the Lord asked Peter, I think, and, and some of the disciples one time, he asked them, hey, who, who do men say that I am? And, and they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist reincarnated or, you know, this this kind of thing. And some say you're a, a good prophet or an angel or, you know, they, there was, I can't remember all the references. But I think Peter finally got it right where he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But anyway, I believe in the day that we're talking about here, the, the current day in which Paul wrote the epistle to Hebrews, there was probably a lot of confusion about Christ and what he did, who he was, because it was only... We're only probably 15 to 20 years past the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. And we're in the period where the apostles 
are taking forth the re-offer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel once again. And so Paul during this time wants to write an epistle, probably I think he was led by the Spirit to do it. But he wants to make it clear in this epistle that this that Jesus Christ is not an angel. That he didn't come with just a bunch of special powers to help the Israelites a little bit along. He wanted to make sure they understood the epic proportions by which the coming of the Lord was made manifest. And we're, we're going to see that, I think, in the first verse of chapter 1 where he says, God, and I'm in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at various times or sundry times and in divers or various many manners, God who at a lot of times and in a lot of different ways spoke in time past or of old unto the fathers by the prophets. He says, God, the same one who many times spoke to the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, you see that? Verse 1 of Hebrews, the last days. Well, we know from when Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, this is way over 2,000 years ago by now. So what was it that made Paul think that he was in the last days? I mean, by any human recollection, the last days has to mean like something within your lifetime anyway, right? Would you say, well, we're in the last days if you knew everything was going to exist another 2,000 years? I'd say, well, we might be getting close to the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the last days, but not the last days. Paul had in his mind, just like he did when he wrote Thessalonians, that he would be alive and remain, I believe, when he wrote the book, the book of Hebrews. Now, that's Ronnie's subjection. That's Ronnie reasoning. But I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Hebrews, and you can agree or disagree, I believe that he literally believed he would be alive when Christ returned. This book is about the coming. It's about, it's about things referencing the children of Israel and how the Lord Jesus Christ relates to them. And he's going to do a lot of comparing here of Christ to the angels. Why? Because these Hebrew people, with their entire history, have been exposed to angels the whole time. Paul, and we're not going to get there today, but at the end of the book of Hebrews, the last reference in Hebrews is Paul tells these people, you know, entreat your fellow people with care because some have entertained angels unawares. You, you might be entertaining angels and you don't even know it. That's what was going on in this dispensation, y'all, with the nation of Israel. I think angels were like spies for God among the people. And the people sometimes knew it, sometimes they did not. But Paul made it very clear you could even be entertaining angels and not be aware of it. You may be talking to an angel and not know it. Remember when the angels and the and the Lord came and spoke with Abraham in the desert. Do you remember that? They sat and ate, talked, just like regular people. 
not a problem because God allows them according to his plan and purpose and will to do these things to inter- interface with people interact with people for his purposes so I want you to think about that as I'm reading this and I want you to, to be mindful of what Paul is doing in these first two chapters when he mentions angels 10 out of 12 times in just two out of the two of the chapters out of the entire book of Hebrews. I mean, the bulk of angel talk is in these first two chapters. I think that's, I think that's important. And I think it's, it's something that we shouldn't gloss over. But he says, God who has spoken times past by the prophets has in these last days, the days in which we're living, y'all, Paul's talking to the people. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. In times past, God did it with the prophets. In these latter times, God did it with his son. He spoke by his son. That's, that's incredible. I believe when Paul said this in verse 2 that the AD 85 target for the return of the Lord to the earth and the setting up of the kingdom was still a possibility during the Acts period. It goes on to say in verse 2, Whom he hath appointed the heir of all things. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Christ will be the heir of everything. By whom also he made the worlds. Wow. That reminds me of Colossians one sixteen. For by him was not anything made that was that was made. He he was in everything. Christ was literally part of everything that is made. By him are all things created, by him all all things consist. They were created by him and for him. So it says he's putting Christ in that position. He wants to make sure the Hebrew people understand that this Jesus that was crucified, this Christ, has been appointed the heir of all things by God the Father. And that by this same Christ were all things made. Look at the, look at the heaviness of the words that Paul uses here. And talking to these Hebrews. How serious this is. Talking of Christ, he says in verse 3, Who being the brightness of his, the Father's glory, and the express image of his, the Father's person, Christ was that cast. We make parts for our, for our tools in our industry. And we make molds and dyes. And that's what this word express image means. We can take a piece of metal and run it through a die and we can make that piece of metal look exactly like we need it to for whatever particular application it has on our tool by punching it with great force and shearing it and punching holes in it and forming it and bending it and torturing it. And we make it the express image, the exact image of whatever die that it came out of for our specific purpose. And that's exactly what God did with Christ. Christ was the express image. The die set. 
of his God's person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged sins. You can leave out the by himself and an hour. Literally it says when he had purged sins, Christ sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Can you put Christ in any bigger position than what the Apostle Paul just did here for the Hebrew people? I don't think so. Wow. Who gets to sit down at the right hand of the Father? Only one can do that. That's the Son of God. So Paul, he don't mince words in verses 1 through 3. He puts Christ in his exact position. You say, well, Ronnie, what's that got to do with angels? <laughs> well, we're getting to that. Because he's going to, Paul, in the, in the subsequent verses that we're going to read here, he's going to do a lot of comparing Christ to angels. So that these Hebrew people, when they read this and walk away, they won't be thinking anymore maybe that Christ is an angel or he's just a good prophet or he's somebody, an angel sent by God to, to heal us, or this or that, because Paul puts him where he's supposed to be. And then he's going to do some comparisons. Verse 4 is where that begins. Being made, or having become so much better than the angels, oh, wait a minute, remember what happened to Christ? He laid aside by his own choice at the will of the Father. He laid aside, he and the Father decided that he would be the ultimate sacrifice for mankind. So he laid aside all of his glory. Remember that glory Paul just talked about? Well, when he was on the earth in John 17, he prayed to the Father, Restore unto me the glory that I had when I was with thee. Why? Because when he was on the earth, he was a man like you and me. Yes, he was God. But yes, he was man. He did not on the earth carry that glory of the Father that the Father had bestowed him with. He laid all that aside. And we're going to find that out in no uncertain terms as we read the next few verses. Hopefully this is making sense to you. He's no angel. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. You know, you, I've heard people talking about, well, I got, you know, he, he ain't no angel. <laughs> well, it depends on which set of angels you're talking about. Maybe he is an angel in, uh, in the vernacular of, you know, the way we refer to good angels and bad angels in the age in which we live. So verse 4, being made or having become so much better than the angels. That's our first occurrence there in verse 4. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Christ by his inheritance has obtained a much more excellent name than all the angels. And it Paul references and compares Christ to angels, number one, because in his becoming a human being, 
He became lower than angels. Yes, we on the creation scale are below angels. They are higher on God's creation scale, if you want to call it that, than we are. Christ himself, part of God, lowered himself, abased himself, divested himself, gave over all that power and glory to be a man, to pay the price for men. It's that simple. So, having become so much better than angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, by his inheritance, once he paid the price for sin, he redeemed us. Redeemed us from what? He redeemed us from the sin that holds us. And it has since our Father Adam began our entire race. Sin has held us. Having become so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of the angels, and here's Paul's argument. Paul is literally saying, okay, if you think Christ is an angel, to which of the angels ever would um, he said, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, said God to them, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Which angel would have said that? Which angel would God have said that to? None. The answer, the rhetorical answer Paul is looking for here is none, Paul. There is not one angel God would have said that to. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Which of the angels would God the Father have said that to? Well, again, the rhetorical angel, the rhetorical answer is none. No angel would ever have heard those words. But Christ the Son of God did. And incidentally, those are uh, those are quotes, and my my Bible is so worn I can't tell you where that one's quoted from. Maybe Tony can post it. Verse six, he says, and again, and that's our verse five is our second occurrence of the word angels. Verse six says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. He saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. That's in Deuteronomy, I believe that's Deuteronomy 31, 43, maybe. And let all the angels of God worship him. Would God have told all the angels to worship another angel? No, because that's exactly what Satan wanted Satan wanted to be like the Most High. He said that. So God would not have said that to an angel. Verse 7. Here's our next occurrence of the word angel. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. 
I mean, it wouldn't make any sense to say that to angels, right? But under the sun he saith this, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. That's quoted from Psalms chapter 2, verse 9. But under the sun. See, now, now the Father's talking to the Son. Paul says, okay, to which of the angels did he ever say this? And now he's saying, but to the Son, the Father says this. You see, you got to keep up with it. That's from Psalms 2.9. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Christ is above all the fellows. And he goes on to say this in verse 10. And thou, Lord, this is quoted from Psalms 45, uh, verses 6 and 7. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the familiu, the foundation, that which is laid down so that something else may be built on it, the substructure. The foundation in the beginning has laid the foundation of the of the earth, thou Lord, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish. What? The heavens are going to be perishing? They sure are. They're going to be rolled up as a scroll and dissolved. Verse eleven. They, the heavens, shall perish. But thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. Verse 12, And as a vesture shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Do you think by now that the Hebrews were starting to get some idea of the difference in Christ? the Son of God and the angels that Paul's comparing him to? I hope they did. I think they probably did as they read this. Let's look at verse 13. It's another of our occurrence of angels. He said, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? That's from Psalms chapter 110 verse 1. Have you noticed that Paul in talking to the Hebrews about Christ is quoting scriptures from the Old Testament prophets and David? Interesting, yes? Verse 13 is a quote from Psalms chapter 110 verse 1. Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Which of the angels did did God ever say that to? Well, again, the rhetorical answer is none. Now, look at verse 14. This is interesting. 
Paul is going to define for the Hebrew people what the angels really are and what their job was. He said, To which of the angels said he at any time, in verse 13, and then still referring to the angels in 14, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? What? You mean these angels were sent forth of God to minister to the children of Israel who should be the inheritors of salvation? (laughs) Yep, that's exactly what he means. And if you break that down, that to minister for them who there, it, it literally should read, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for ministry on account of them who are about to inherit salvation? Wow. Heirs of salvation. And that's the end of chapter 1. I want to just, as time allows, let's uh, let's start in chapter 2. Because you can't really separate Hebrews 1 from Hebrews 2. And the remaining uh, several verses, I believe there's probably four more in Hebrews 2. I think there's six in chapter 1 and maybe four in in chapter 2 out of the 10 that make up 10 out of 12 in the entire book of Hebrews. So let's read on. So Paul is setting the stage for his argument to the Hebrew people about who Christ is and the fact that Christ is not an angel. He is so much better than the angels. And then here he puts out a statement of his argument here at the beginning of chapter 2. Therefore, you see that word? That means on account of everything I just said. Pop always said that's the stop, look, and listen word in the scripture. You got to stop, like like a train, like at a train intersection. You got to stop, look, and listen lest you run out in front of a train. And that's what therefore is therefore. You got to go back and look at what was just said. Well, I just read you what is just said. So Paul says, therefore, or on account of what I just said, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip or flow away. We better listen to what we know, y'all. The things that we've been taught of God. Lest at any time we just kind of let them slip away. He says, and here's the whole point of the angels. Verse 2. For if the word spoken by angels, you see that in verse 2? Was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. You remember when the word of God would come to the people in the wilderness? And it would tell them certain things to do or not to do. And he was right. Every transgression and disobedience wasn't a whole lot of grace in that dispensation. Every recompense and transgression received, or every uh, disobedience and transgression received the just recompense as a reward. 
You did the crime, you did the time, so to say. Interesting. He said, so if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, verse 2, chapter 2 of Hebrews, and ever transgressing and disobedience received a just recompense or reward, how shall we escape, Paul says, if we neglect so great salvation? Yes, the salvation that they were supposed to be heirs of three verses ago. How are we going to escape if we neglect that salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. Remember, he says, in times past, God spake by the prophets. In these latter days, he spoke by his son. So now he's invoking the words that Christ said. How are we going to escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us, unto us by them that heard him, the twelve. Which tells me he's right square at the, in the book of Acts right here. And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. See, Paul heard Christ as one born out of due season. Here he's saying to the Hebrew people, the original twelve have confirmed unto you what the, the salvation that the Lord's already talked about. So here he's reminding them of the apostles that are still out there doing the work in the Acts period. Man, this when I read Hebrews one and two this morning, it just it hit me in a whole new light. He said, How are we going to escape if we neglect this salvation? Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also, verse 4, bearing witness with signs and wonders. Here we are in the Acts period, y'all. As of Acts 2, when they received the Pneumahagion, the Spirit of the Holy, the gifts of the Spirit. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers' miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. How are we going to escape if we neglect all these signs, miracles, and wonders? How are we going to escape if we neglect the salvation which was first preached by the Lord and then by the twelve that have all the signs? That's what he's asking. How are we going to escape? What do you escape to? Man, I'm telling you. Then verse 5, he answers his own rhetorical questions here. And this literally should read, For not to angels did he subject the world to come, whereof we speak. That's literally how it should be translated. It's a poor translation there. And this world is the inhabitedness, the cosmos is the inhabited world, he says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. And that's the second in chapter 2, second mention of our word angels. So see, the angels do not have charge over the cosmos. They're merely ministers. 
even a good Hebrew should be able to understand that by the time they get here, right? In these two chapters. You kind of get where I'm going with this? You see why he wrote it directly to the Hebrews? They needed it. Later on in this same book, he says, you guys should be teaching this stuff, and here you sit needing a teacher to be taught it. He said, you're not ready to take on meat. You're like babes sucking on milk. For under the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Yeah, Paul's talking about a world to come, the kingdom to come. He said, but one in a certain place, verse 6, testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Verse 7, wow. And that madest there is decreased or demoted. Christ was not a created being. That is a very poor, very poor translation. Because this is referring to Christ. Christ was the one that gave up the glory voluntarily so that he could become a lowly man. Yes, lower than angels. So that he could be mocked and scourged and shamed and spit on and crucified. For us. For us. Who are so undeserving. Wow. This gets me. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Decreased him in the Greek. Or or demoted. He didn't make him anything. Like I said, poor translation. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. See, that verse takes you all the way to the lowest, and then it takes Christ all the way back to the highest where he belongs. Thou hast put, verse 8, all things in subjection under his feet, not under the feet of angels, but under the feet of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's 56. Where all things are delivered up, all the kingdoms are delivered up, and everything is put at the feet of the Father. Man. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. And Paul says, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him or subjected to him. Read that in 1 Corinthians. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15, 56. I'm not, if I ain't mistaken. There's a series of verses at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about, uh, in, in connection with resurrection no less, that talks about all things being reconciled. 27, I'm sorry. Thank you, Tony. Paul says, but now we see not yet all things put under him. The kingdom isn't here yet, y'all. Remember what he said in verse 1 or verse 2? That God, who in these last days have spoken unto us by his Son. Close. 
But we're not there yet, Paul says, right there in verse 8. But now we see not yet all things put under him. He said, but we see Jesus. We see this Christ. Who was decreased to become lower than the angels. For the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. That he may by the grace of God. That he by the grace of God should taste death. In the place of. You see that word forward there? Should literally say in the place of every man. Wow. That same Christ that was demoted. To become lower than the angels. See if he had not have done that. There would have been no man to pay the price for men. And that's what God required in his righteousness. That's the way God wanted it. And that's good enough. All that's got to be is the way God wants it. And Christ fulfilled the requirements of the Father. In that he died once for all. By the grace of God it says should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. It became him to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. That's what it was all about. The sufferings and the glory of the captain, it says, of their salvation. The Hebrews had a captain of their salvation. Remember, that was... They were supposed to be heirs of this salvation. Paul's already said in chapter 1. So it says in verse 11, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Christ is still not ashamed to call the ones that he suffered for his brethren, Paul says. And here's his proof of that in verse 12. He says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church or the assembly will I sing praise unto thee. And again, he says in verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. And both of those verses in 12 and 13 are quotes. I don't have wrote where they're quoted from. Again, quotes from the Old Testament. Paul is using the Old Testament to prove this very Christ. Probably similar to what he did in Acts 28 when he got there. He says this in verse 14. For as much then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So see, the children of Israel are partakers of flesh and blood. Christ did the same thing. That through death, remember, a man had to die for men. 
that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil? Wow! You mean that Christ had to die to gain the power to destroy him that hath the power of death? Well, it looks that way. He sealed his fate. Satan was destroying himself, and he didn't even know it, when he entered into Judas to do what Judas did, right? Man, I tell you, if you can go through and do a deep study in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2, and I ain't even, I ain't even remotely doing this justice, y'all. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put forth some angel points, but man, this is deep. If you can grasp what Paul is telling the Hebrews here in Hebrews 1 and 2, you will be a long way in your understanding, even though you're not a Hebrew, of who Christ is and who he was. And why he came and did what he did. And why John said he came to his own. And his own received him not. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, Christ, likewise, took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Those who were living the fear of death for their entire lifetimes in bondage can be delivered. That's what the salvation is that he talked about. You see what I'm talking about here? Man, you talk about a salvation message. Never hear preachers preach this one too much. Boy, it's here. <laughs> if you're a Hebrew, at least at the time. Verse 16, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. Here's our last occurrence, I believe, of the ten in the first two chapters of the book of Hebrews. Truly, Christ took not on himself the nature of angels. He didn't take a body of angels. They would not have been able to crucify him had he did that. And listen, an angel can't pay the price for men. It had to be a man. He had to become lower than the angels by his own choice. He wasn't made that way. The Jehovah Witnesses used that verse to try to prove that Christ was a created being like an angel. Yes, they do that. I've heard, I've sit in my living room and talked to Jehovah Witnesses that and I'm not I guess I am throwing rocks because it's bad doctrine. They sit in my living room and try to tell me that Christ was a created being. Good man. Good angel. But he's an angel. He's created. He is not God. There's only one God. They do not get the Father, Son, Holy Spirit aspect of God. They do not believe in the triune Godhead. And see, they do err, not knowing the scriptures and the power thereof. Severely, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him what? <laughs> Seed of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's twelve sons, Judah, all down through Judah's lineage until we get to that seed. Seed of Abraham. Wow. 
And I'm almost out of time here. Let's wind it up. Wherefore in all things, Paul said, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Look at this. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Paul equates Christ to the ultimate high priest who can pay the sin price for his people. They knew who the high priest was. They knew what the high priest did once every year for the sins of the people. Wow. Look what Paul did. He's a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, Paul says. Man. <laughs> For in, in verse 18, we'll close. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Wow. He was tempted, but yet without sin. And through the death of the one who was without sin, he was able to comfort all those that are tempted or tested. And we'll stop there for today. Wow. I tell you, I don't want to. I could sit and talk about Hebrews 1 and 2 probably the rest of the afternoon because I haven't, we haven't even scratched the surface of the awesomeness in these books, uh, not only relative to angels, but amazing. Yeah, it is amazing, um, Tammy. It is amazing the things that you read that the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews. And he's going to take that and build on it, and he's going to tell how that he didn't use the blood of bulls and goats and calves like the high priest did, but he is going to use his own blood to pay the price for the sins of the world. What a message. Well, we'll stop there for today. Hopefully you've got a little bit out of... Um, <laughs> I know I did. And it, it is great to be back. I, I really enjoyed uh, digging around in Hebrews 1 and 2 today. And like I said, I haven't even remotely done it justice, but I hope that uh, through some way this will be used for the uh, uplifting and glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... Um, and further his, further his, uh, the knowledge of him. Bow with us and let's close. Father, we do once again thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for the beauty of this scripture. Father, we thank you for those that have come this way and, uh, just for knowing that they're there. And Father, eager to, to grasp this word and to know it and to understand it. Father, we thank you so much for it. Thank you for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us through it. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that does the teaching. Thank you for the uh, impact that these words have on our lives. Thank you for the grace and mercy and love that we enjoy daily. And thank you most of all, Father, for the blood of that perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Be with us. Father, continue to lead God and keep us. Bless us in all that we endeavor to do in your name. Bless those that have come this way with understanding of your word rightly divided. For it's in Christ's name today we do humbly pray. Amen.